Voice at the Table provides practical information to ensure people with a cognitive disability have a real and equal voice on boards, committees and advisory groups. We do this by providing training for people with an acquired brain injury or intellectual disability and through a peer-led monthly meetup. We educate organisations and government departments to use inclusive meeting practices by providing training and resources. But most importantly, VAT tries to make the world a place where everyone is equal and can participate by being given supports they need to contribute the way they want. Our board is disability-led and our resources and training are co-produced and facilitated by people with a disability. Come check us out, voiceatthetable.com.au. We're gathering together today in this special place to continue our learning journey together. We acknowledge the Woiwurrung and Bunwurrung people of the Kulin Nations as the traditional custodians of the land and waters of the place where we're recording this podcast and that sovereignty has not been ceded. We acknowledge and pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging and we also pay respect to any First Peoples who are listening. We remember the self-advocates who work hard, really hard over the years for the right for themselves and for others with a disability to live in the community and to achieve equality and to respect human rights for all. Nothing about us without us. Welcome to the new series of That Chat. My name's Warren Murrum and I'll be your host as we go through a new way of looking at inclusive meetings, inclusive teams, inclusive workplaces. Um, Last season, as you know, we talked about the 10 top tips for inclusive meetings and during that time, some of the most powerful and strong information and content was very much around the, the storytelling side of it. Um, we got more from our graduates and you as a listener probably got more enjoyment from listening to it when we were in that storytelling phase. So we've decided to focus this series on the storytelling and not the 10 top tips. <laughs> They'll still be in there, if you listen closely, they'll be in there somewhere. Um, There's such strong, powerful resource and applicable across the board, basically, you know, and, and not just the the boardroom board, but just, you know, the game room board as well. <laughs> so, simple things like communication and respect and, and things like that. So thinking about the stories that we'd want to hear about over the course of this season, um, I thought, and Dan, music producer and overall director of of our recordings, Dan Sullivan, for those that may have missed the first season, we thought that it would be a great idea to use a pre-recorded interview I did with Amy Lassett on her moving from Voice at the Table back into a bit of study. Uh, she will be off doing a master's 
but we took the opportunity to record basically the story of Voice at the Table from her perspective. So I'm there, I'm adding a little bit, but essentially it's all Amy. So take it away, Warren. Nothing about us without us. I'm Warren Lurham and I'm interviewing Amy Lassett upon departure from our lovely team, which we're all very sad about. Amy has been a beacon of light and hope and solid foundation for us to build on. So before the future, we have to think about the past. Dates are not a great thing in my memory. Thinking back, I know Melanie from Saru helped write the initial proposal. Correct. So when it comes to my, yes and no. So when it comes to my position, so I came in to voice at the table at the last week of January in 2018. And I I think we had got an ex- um, voice at the table had got funding from the state government and at that stage um, it was through the state government boards initiative so the state government had wanted to make sure that people with a disability had a voice on boards and committees and they knew what Saru was doing in 2016 Saru had got money off um, the NDIA believe it or not um, to do a pilot project called Voice at the Table. And they hardly had any money at all, but they pulled it together. And that was under the lead of Sue Smith, working in partnership with Brain Injury Matters and um, reinforced self-advocacy groups. So essentially the state government knew that they were doing a great thing. And so they extended that. Um, and I think when I got on board, it was about we had money to do some more self-advocacy training, so consumer advocacy training. And we also had money to support the new graduates to be on boards and committees in the state of Victoria. I believe Eva was around in the 2016 version. Yeah, so the 2016 version, um, you're right. So I wasn't around then, but Sue and Sally, um, they got together and they worked with they asked a whole lot of different people from Brain Injury Matters and Reinforced to work with them. They came up with the training package. So this was originally, it was just the consumer participation training um, and they facilitated it. And they, I believe Eva, um, Lara, um, Troy, most of the members, I could go on, Susan Arthur, Colin Hisco was huge in the development. Um, so they co-developed the training sessions, but how they went about it was really different to how what it has ended up happening. Sue worked one-on-one with people to come up with the package and then they trained it. And while they trained it, Sue, they, Sue said, say stop when this isn't working. So they would do it and then they'd say stop and then they'd all discuss it and they'd try to change it. But um, yeah, but then um, as you know, Mike and I came in on 2018 and I originally, I think our first contract was only for a year. Um, to do two more groups of self-advocates. Yeah, I think I was in that second group. You were in the second group. That's right. We ended up actually, because that's classic, uh, voice at the table is doing more than you need to. I think we're only meant to do two lots of training, but we ended up doing uh, two groups of ABI, people with acquired brain injury, um, and and one group of people with intellectual disability. Sort of explains the... uh 
the balance in those early numbers as well, I think, uh, that there was a lot more ABI people involved. There was. I think that was also because I was a novice and I didn't have my head around things. So one of my biggest lessons that time was around recruitment. I learned that for people with an intellectual disability, their availability, getting them to come along was really difficult. But I figured out over the years, always host those training, self-advocacy training during the school holidays because their day centres are closed. Yeah. So they have more freedom. So often there's gatekeepers between them um, and participating in stuff. And so their parents or their guardians would go, oh, yeah, such and such. I'll encourage them to do that. Um, trying to get people to have leave from their day centres or their, their normal programs was proved to be really difficult. But with the acquired brain injury, that was another thing that worked out really well is we just had a snowball effect. Um, we were lucky enough to be working with the Transport Accident Commission and we were also lucky to be working with a support provider and they just put it out in their networks and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And before we know it, we had a waiting list of people who wanted to do the training. You can find out more voiceatthetable.com.au But we also did a pilot project from there. So we had our first couple of classes. When I say we, back then the team was just Mike and I. And I think when it came to trainers, Lara came on. She was incredible. Um, Fran Lee worked a lot with Voice at the Table. She was fantastic. And Julie Brassington. Julie was a great facilitator. But we then got money to do a pilot project in Morewell. So from this is when the development of the inclusive meeting practices training started to really kick off. So that's when uh, Eva and Cameron were hired and they developed the training package for organisations and government departments. And the idea was we would go into more, well, myself and Julie, along with Fran and Colin, we would train up members, uh, people with an intellectual disability to speak up. And then the other half, um, Mike, Cameron and Eva would train the workers that worked with them. What we learned from that experience was also about duty of care. What I mean by that is changing systems takes a really long time. And it's, it's really important to make sure that there are enough supports for self-advocates after you leave. Yes. Because yes. we were teaching self-advocates who were working in quite conventional or conservative disability organisations or being, being clients well that's how they were framed and so then they were given this voice over these six days of training over three weeks and then we left and they were there working in the same environment that they were first found in so that's where the seed started to be sowed of oh we need to keep connecting people in because it takes a long time for all of us to learn self-advocacy we need to practice it um and so, and the other thing is we learned that when it came to working with organisations, we really needed initial meetings with them to really understand the language that they, they use and to understand um, where, where they were at. Because um, the last thing we wanted was it just to be city people coming in telling country people what to do. You're listening to VAT Chat. So in 2019, how many trainings were done? Oh, my goodness. Because that was a big year. 
that was a big year. That year in 2019, I feel like the focus was mostly on um, inclusive meeting practices training. Eva Cameron and I trained, I can't even tell you, hundreds and hundreds of, of, of government workers community and at that stage we'd got too much publicity so we had won the disability award and that taught me a thing about too much exposure is not a good thing because um, you have to use a lot of your resources saying no to people that was really amazing and watching Eva and Cameron step into their roles and learn and become really strong facilitators but more importantly this is the thing I'm most proud about is learning how to be an honouring team us learning who each other was and how to best support each other and coming up with some of those practical tips amongst ourselves about how to manage all of our different sensitivities, how to make sure that all of our access needs were met. Um, and that's something that BAT's always done is these kind of internal things where everyone's allowed to be authentically themselves and everyone has support needs to some extent. Yeah. So being able to name them and everyone be able to be their authentic selves means that you get the best out of people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with. It took me a few years to actually own my disability to begin with. Yep. But then to recognise what my access needs are. Yeah. Um, and, and most people wouldn't even know my access needs because I don't, I've worked out ways around it. Yeah, yeah. And generally, it's just something as simple as a quiet space that I can run away to if I need to. 100%, I'm with you there. Yeah, you know, just having that space to clear your brain for 10 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And But without the, that training and the confidence that that provided, mm. I never could have asked for those sort of things. Mm. I think that sort of uh, lifting and building of the self-advocate's voices in that aspect has been probably the, the most overlooked side of it. I think so too. And I think there should be more, um, like I know this because of all of the surveys, right, and all the follow-up conversations that I've had with people. And in every report I've ever written, so normally from the state government, we'll have to say 75% increase in confidence to X, Y, and Z or whatever. Yeah. Lots of things like that. We have always been above 75%. And I either go, oh, are people just being way too generous? When I say people, the back graduates, yeah. are they being too generous? But they're not. I think, I think the beautiful thing that happened at BAT, right, is that is we, we offer opportunities for people to speak up time and time again. And also it's asset-based community development. What I learned growing when I was doing my studies and how I've done community development Asset base means what have we got here? Everyone is an asset and everyone has something to contribute. So let's figure out what it is for each and single person and then meet that. You're listening to That Chat. I just, I just want to touch on 2019 a little bit more. Yep. So we're swamped with work um, after winning the award. Yes. And that was very much about organisations trying to tick their boxes. 100%. Uh, and we know that and mm -hmm. they know it. <laughs> That's right. And so how did you broker, you know, how did you manage to say no to this group and yes to that group? Well, I had to learn that trial and yeah. error. And I, but I think that is 
a, a very important part of it. It is. I think one thing that that's always done is that don't go into a meeting without a self-advocate. Um, nothing about us without us, really. But it was very much like I would say, okay, so if you want someone to work with you, if you want to do our training, these are our requirements. <laughs> And being like you need to do easy English agendas, you need to um, send a video of your opportunity, you need to um, use accessible language, I suggest you do our training. So we went ahead with organisations that were ready to learn, not organisations who are going to take us for granted. One of the things that we achieved, well, we were a part of like a consortium of, of groups which said to the state government, we think there should be an action required when setting up public service committees where they have to think about people with a disability. And so they have to show evidence, the public servant has to show evidence that they've attempted to include people with a disability in it. And that's actually been not great and great. It's meant that a lot of people ring voice at the table just so they can tick a box to say that they've attempted. Yeah. And it has meant, but it has meant that I've been able to have some great conversations with people and introduce them to think about things differently. Also, can I say, we have done training. Eva Cameron and I have done training a couple of times where people are really rude and they'll get up and they'll, we had this one woman, we were in a fancy hotel doing this training and this one woman stood up and said, this is ridiculous. This is political correctness gone mad. She said, you know, people with a cognitive disability don't have the capacity to be on boards or committees. And it was horrible. Um, and I was so proud of the team because all of us managed that. We managed our emotions and we, we had a really difficult conversation in a public space. And there were CEOs of all these big organisations in the room. We've, that's happened to us about three times over the years and um, we've done evaluations and reflections on when they happen. And so I think um, something that should be developed in the future is, an, is, is a resource around governance and around financial liability yeah. and what that means to be on a board. What I always made sure is a voice at the table graduate. I don't want anyone to go and speak on a board or in committee and be used as a token. I, I knew each person because I taught them in the training, which meant I knew some people were maybe ready to be on a panel, maybe ready to be on a in their day centre, yeah. helping run the activities where another person might be okay to be on a state board. I think the beauty actually, like the beauty of the inclusive meeting practices training, Cameron and I've gone on a tangent, but Cameron and Eva and Annie, when Annie was around, they, they demonstrate their humanity in their acceptance of each other yep. and in demonstrating how to respond to each other's access needs and show that it's actually, it's a no-brainer. Yep. Um, and yep. that's when organisations lean into that, then they change. That Chat podcast is part of the Voice at the Table training, voiceatthetable.com.au. So, yeah, so the basically brings us to 2020, doesn't it? It's, it does, it does. Um, so 2020 started with all of this excitement. Right. At the beginning of 2020, we had this massive plan. We were going to be doing 
country project in Seymour and Alexander. Yeah. We were extending the board's initiative. We had three paid gigs consulting with some big organisations. And we'd come up with this, I'd workshops this idea where we'd find organisations and say, do you have people with a cognitive disability in your community? We'll provide you both training and ongoing mentoring if you pay us this much. And yeah. we've got people to agree to it. Yeah, um, it makes sense. Yeah. It does, literally, it does. you know, because when you talk about people with a cognitive disability, you're talking about people like myself. Yeah, I know. You know, and you see me walking down the street or whatever, you're not going to know. Yeah. Uh, and how many people are like that out there is far too many, exactly. actually. But yeah. the fact is you can't tell just by looking at someone. So I can just that guarantee every community, whatever that community is, yeah. you know, there'll probably be 20% of it will have, or if they're not someone with it, yeah. they live with someone with it. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it touches just about everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, so we had all these great plans um, and then, of course, we started working remotely. And that was really difficult, but we pivoted. So with Advocacy Futures funding, myself, Eva, Cameron, Lara, Luke Taylor and myself, we facilitated training online to self-advocates out in the regions. Oh, and Wendy Kelly, who's yeah. our community liaison person. And we also facilitated training to three different organisations online. Um, and... And did all this amazing actioning with Annie around making sure that people had easy English resources to understand the pandemic and what was going on, as well as then you guys actioning the podcast, which is pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, and then we did a QA. We did, we we used your podcast as a means for public servants, three government departments to learn about Voice at the Table and the 10 top tips. And then we finished that off with them, a Q&A with Eva and Cameron. And it went so well. It went really well. I would like to know about some of the struggles that have been presented. Some of the obstacles that have been thrown in. Obviously, the Office of Disability has their own rigmarole around things. Mm -hmm. and, and now with um, the Department of Social Services, mm -hmm. They have their own way of doing things and whether those have been real obstacles or hindrances or just a, a, a way of saying to them, hey, hang on, that's a bit of jargon. I can't actually, I can't, I can't fault my personal experience of yeah. working with the Office for Disability. Yeah. I can't fault them in particular. The challenge has been that lots of people don't think that it's worth paying money. I think that's the really hard thing. Like yeah. there's, and there's often times that have, people have expected me to help them in their workplace for free. When I say me, I mean the team. Yeah. That often people will go hear voice at the table and they'll ring us and they'll say, oh, can you do this for us? Or we want your expertise in this, come and help us, but they're not willing to pay us. Yeah. And that sentence that you said, oh, but you're government funded. We're not government funded to do that. In the early days, I would have killed myself working for everyone all the time because I was always an opportunity to try and create change. 
But in the end, you start to realise where you need to put your energy and where you don't need to put your energy. And um, I think they've been the biggest hurdles of people, you know, not. And also times when people have been incredibly condescending to particularly back rats with an intellectual disability, um, invited them to become to a panel, said they would do all of these supports and then they don't. Um, when people are or, put in or they it, will put in all the sports and then just not talk to that person at all. Correct. Correct. Probably the last thing I want to talk about is that transition into, mm-hmm. um, into Zoom mm. and using it as not only a meeting tool, yep. but a connection tool. Well, I think you're the expert on this. You got you and Dan made that possible and made that happen last year, I think. Um, and the monthly meetup crew. Yeah. I think, do you know, hats off again to the Victorian state government for giving Saru the money to get people tablets and laptops. That's amazing. If that we hadn't amazing. had that, yeah. we'd be stuffed. Yeah. The NDIA at the time was saying, oh, no, no, no. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's built people's capacity out of necessity. Um, but that's also due to the tireless work of so many people at Saru like Mel yeah. and so many hours of phone on the phone for me and Anne and others teaching people how to use it and um, as you know technology people get anxious and then their brain gets flooded and then they can't do it then they're swearing and then and then we'd all okay let's let's hang up have a cup of tea then we're going to come back and start again and and it's it's brought people together too like some of the backgrounds are now quite old and just in last year have moved into nursing homes but we can they can still come to meetings yeah so that's been really good welcome to justin joke that the report said to the police, to the policeman said, why did the robber take a bar of soap with him to rob the bank? And the policeman said, well, he want to get a clean getaway. Well, that was absolutely fascinating. I must say thank you so much to Amy, uh, not just for uh, this recording, but for all her years with the Voice at the Table team and helping shape what Voice at the Table is today. Um, I know that conversation continued into what we thought would become, what that could become in the future. And if half of that stuff comes to be, it's gonna be an amazing, amazing place. (laughs) Just so everybody's fully aware Amy wanted to say that she didn't mention everything. She didn't mention everyone, but everyone was important and they all contributed hugely to making that a real success during her three and a bit years. As she said, after we had a chat, I was list- I was remembering through emotion and it you know, upset my memory a bit. <laughs> emotion is very, strong and can change the way you think. Once again, everyone that went through the program is important and everyone that went through the program has contributed hugely to the program's success. So just a a little thank you for everyone from Amy. So thank you once again, Amy Lassett. Um, Thank you to 
the ILC grant funding people. Uh, great to have the funding to allow us to explore and to build stronger voices. I think um, having this episode as a, a platform to start from um, gives our grads a place to really reach for the stars from. And, and Amy did that all the way through her tenure with Voice at the Table. So next episode will be a storytelling episode and we'll be with with graduates or not just next episode but all the future episodes <laughs> will be with with our graduates and hopefully we'll get some absolute pearls of information which we normally do anyway so thank you once again thank you dad for being our music technical support and all-round director recording engineer um, thanks to Amy for all her hard work. Thanks to Anne, obviously, who helped set up this podcast. And won't thank Tom yet because he, we'll, we'll get him involved shortly. Anyway, thanks for listening. I've been Warren. This has been great. Um, catch you all on the next episode of Back Chat.